0: Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm speaking with Joyce Myers, Chief Data and Analytics Officer for the U.S. Army. Her story is truly inspiring. Having 40 years of experience, she's seen big changes in technology and also women's rights. She shares really practical advice for how you can keep going and have a positive, can-do attitude to achieve your career goals. In addition, she talks about the new advancements in technology in regards to data and analytics for the U.S. Army and the new role that's been created of data science within the Army. Joyce is also a member of Women in Data, mentor, and is a huge inspiration to me. I know you're gonna enjoy this episode with the practical advice and thoughtful insights that she provides. Welcome Joyce to the Data Bytes podcast. I'm so happy to have this conversation with you.
1: Thank you. I'm really looking forward to it and I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yes, I have been following you on LinkedIn for a little while and got connected and then come to find out you're also a Women in Data member And it's just so exciting. Like Sometimes you forget how big the network of women in data is. So I'm so happy that we've been able to connect in multiple forms.
1: Absolutely. And I'm I'm loving the women in data experience. It's nice to be part of a community uh, that gets it.
0: Yes. And you have had a long journey into becoming where you are today as the chief data and analytics officer at the Army. I would love to learn a little bit more about how you got to where you are today and what some of those key learning points along your journey were.
1: Well, you know, when you asked me to do this, I was like, wow, a journey. So I'm going to kind of put it out there. My journey's been almost 40 years in the making. Uh, I graduated from high school and I went to an engineering school. I have a degree in structural engineering, Uh, but promptly ran out of money and joined the army. And so I've always been intrigued by numbers and mathematics and, and how things fit together. Uh, but I went down a completely different path in the army. When I joined, uh, women weren't allowed to be engineers. It was, it was not acceptable. So I chose to go into the logistics field. Um, so logistics in the army is really every single piece of equipment or every single supply that the army uses in every one of its missions, right? So how do we order it? How do we receive it? How do we store it? How do we turn it in? All of that. Well, unbeknownst to me, all of that is data, every bit of it, right? Um, And we have to account for it, right? If they issue us a truck, we have to know who has that truck, where that truck is, what the maintenance on that truck is. And and when I started, it was a three ring binder uh, with papers in it that we tracked with pencil, Where we added and subtracted, and that was our database, if you will. And then I got a little bit fancier and I got graph paper and I actually drew my lines and made a a consolidated database on paper. And several years in, we now have computers, actual computers at our desk. I remember we got our first Wang computer and uh, my boss handed me a paper and said, can you process these words? So people really only just looked at it as a, a fancy typewriter. But then we got D-base 3, and I was able to take all these spreadsheets on graph paper and, and really start bringing together data and connecting it, not even realizing that that's what I was doing truly, uh, because I was a logistician. I was just trying to answer my questions. And we grew from that small desktop to computer to large deployable systems where we really could just see ourselves. And then fast forward to today, the United States Army is a cloud-based enterprise level solution where we can see all of the assets across the entirety of the Army, not just a thousand three ring binders in the hands of the person at that level. Um, so the, the magnitude of that very first set of here's your paper and pencil to cloud based computing with the enormity of the amounts of data and how we tie it together and all of the different decisions that we can make with that is it, just it's really kind of awe inspiring when you think about it over the time frame. It seems like a long time, but it seems like just yesterday at the same time.
0: Yes, and I mean your story is just awe inspiring to me. I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to going to college and experiencing financial difficulties, being able to afford it, right? And you had this really like it sounds like positive outlook even through all these barriers of your career of like, okay, I can't afford college right now, but here's plan B, right? Join the army. And then I can't be an engineer in the army, but here's plan B I'm going to go into logistics. And I'm curious, like how did you keep such a positive attitude through these, you know, trials and kind of barriers? Cause I mean, where you're at today is really remarkable.
1: Well, I think, I think truly is a lot of it is, I, I just didn't know any different. I'm fairly stubborn. Um, I'm fairly type A. Um, There weren't a lot of women when I joined, maybe 2% of the workforce was women. Um, So people were kind of uncomfortable, right? They kind of like, oh, what, you know, they just kind of steered clear. So I really got a lot of bandwidth to do and ask the questions I wanted to. But I look back, I had some pretty solid leaders who encouraged me to, to grow while I was in the army. I, I did serve 20 full years. And, and I was like, you know, I, I, I'd i like to move on to something else. And I, I transitioned to being a contractor in support of the army, you stick with what you know. Um, and And I had some really good leaders there as well. And then I eventually transitioned to working as a government civilian for the army. So my entire life has been my entire life, because I'm actually born to Air Force parents. So I've Always been connected to the military. Uh, My entire life has been, you can do it. No one has ever told me I couldn't. And therefore, um, I always thought I could. So I did. And I ask a lot of questions.
0: (laughs) Yes, I think that is such a great motto to have. It's just like, you can do it, right? And don't let anybody else either tell you you can't or you know, determine first for yourself that you have that ability. And I'm sure that curiosity and asking a lot of questions helps a lot to propel you forward into the role you're in today.
1: Uh, so absolutely. Those,
0: yeah, so for those looking to move into a leadership position, what advice do you have for them?
1: So I would say you have to invest in yourself, right? You absolutely can't lead anybody else. If you can't invest in yourself and so uh, I teach this with the folks that I work with regularly and and I find that I read a lot. I read a lot. I listen to podcasts. I look at articles. I watch YouTube videos. I take online training or I used to do in person training right Um, and I ask a lot of questions so I feel the more comfortable I am with my knowledge. Uh, the better it makes me. But not just from a, a professional perspective, right? I recently completed my 200-hour yoga teacher certification. has absolutely nothing to do with my job, but the mindfulness and the connection to myself allows me to take those breaks. It allows me the time to think and let the things absorb. It allows me to set aside the things that maybe don't matter so much, the noise, if you will. And I think if we can take the time to set aside the noise then what really matters will bubble to the top and gives us that freedom to invest in ourselves. And when we can do that, then we're so much more available to the people that we're trying to lead. But ultimately, if you put them first, if you put your people first and you take care of their needs, it, it's all going to work out in the end. It may not be easy, but it will it will work out in the end. So invest in yourself and invest in your people and the rest of it's going to fall into place.
0: I mean, I have nothing to say to that, because it is so well put. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, we both are yoga teacher trained, right? And I did it for similar reasons. It doesn't have anything to do with my job. But I needed to keep learning. And it allowed me that ability to get quiet with myself and incorporate that mindfulness. And I love what you say in terms of Focusing on yourself and making sure you have that quiet time. So, what really matters bubbles to the top. I mean, that is liquid gold advice. So, thank you.
1: <laughs> You're welcome.
0: So, I want to circle back to the beginning of the conversation. You shared how when you started your career, data tracking was on a three ring binder, right? And now, today, you can view everything within the Army and the assets and logistics and whatnot it has within the cloud that had to be an incredible journey to go on to see from paper to cloud really and i'm really curious to know like how did you stay apace pace with all of these rapid changes and how has this changed the way we just work as a whole
1: well It's interesting, right? So sometimes it sneaks up on you and you don't realize it's actually change, right? I work for a very large organization, if you will, and really change is slow. Uh, But in the scheme of things, it's been very rapid, right? So when we've had multiple systems along the way, uh, a lot of it is culture, right? I, I believe that people don't like change. And so sometimes, even though the change is happening quickly, It's not implemented quickly because people don't understand it or they like the way they've always done it. So I think that's some of what we're running into now. And it goes back to your leadership question. Right. So so and I told you I had good leaders. So I had I had good leaders and I had some not so good leaders. Um, I think a good leader is one who can can see the future and, and welcomes innovation, not change just for the sake of change. But I think where I'm at now within the Army, we have some really solid leaders at at the highest of levels that are looking forward and saying, we really need to move forward. And and it kind of trickles down here. We're a very hierarchical organization, right? So I can see change all day long and I can try to influence it. But I'm this tiny little cog at the very bottom of this very big organization. So I think really I influence the change I can within my sphere of influence. Um, to the right and left, up and down, right, my sphere, and then hopefully encourage those people to encourage and influence within their spheres. And it, and that helps, right? Because sometimes our leaders are so exceptionally busy, they know it's coming, they know they need to do it. But they're all here. And they're just so busy with what they're doing, that it becomes important for us to help influence what that changes. And that's a really a lot of the culture, how do people embrace it? The change often comes way before people actually accept it. And I think that's been the most interesting part of the journey is we knew these systems were coming. We knew that we were going to get the training. We knew that they were going to field, that means issue us the new system. Uh, But people would have them and still use their three ring binder. Um, so a lot of what would happen is they just have to cut you off, right? You, you just don't, right? And so that's, I think, what happens, not just in, in my organization, but probably in, in corporate organizations as well. Look, you're either coming along for the ride or you're not. Um, and so I think that's really, it's cultural is the biggest thing on how, how change gets consumed. And so how do you communicate that? What words do you use? How do you show people it really matters to them? and get that buy-in, again, going back to the people, right? Um, You can change your system all day long, but if the people aren't gonna use it, it doesn't really matter.
0: So you mentioned at the beginning that as humans, we're kind of resistant to change just naturally. Why do you think that is? And like, what can we do as individuals ourselves to be adaptable to change in a good way?
1: So I think we like, we get comfortable, right? We get comfortable very quickly. It doesn't take very long to form a habit. And so we also get emotionally attached to our jobs and the value it brings to us. So if we're bringing an automated system in or a different way of doing data, and now you had your little three ring binder and only you and your people could see your stuff, maybe you don't want other people seeing your stuff because they're going to help you get better or they're going to hold you accountable where maybe you're not being accountable. So I think there's a certain level of discomfort with that transparency. I think there's a certain level of discomfort with, well, if we fully embrace data, we fully embrace these automated systems, then where's my job? What, what value do I have? So I think as, as leaders and as, as data Uh, Personnel, and we all are data people, every one of us, whether it's in our title or not, every single person, whether you're working or not, is associated with data. How do we find that value for us as a person? How do we make data matter? Uh, So, the Army, the DOD, is actually calling data a strategic asset, right? So, it's an asset that we use in our job, it doesn't replace us. It doesn't replace our processes. It just helps inform them. And it's really all about the buy-in. How do you, what's in it for me? I mean, that's what it boils down to for humans, right? What's in it for me? So I think that's how we can help influence that change is looking at the other person's point of view, coming at them with empathy and understanding and truly trying to understand their point of view Because oftentimes we don't actually ask the stakeholders or the people who are putting their fingers on the keyboard and we've created a product that doesn't work for them at all. Um, And that happens probably more often than not. Um, And that causes some of the resistance. So from my perspective, I always try to bring the stakeholders in from the very, very, very beginning because it's their product, their process and their output. And I'm just assisting. And I think with that mindset, people are more likely to engage and say, oh, you know what? This is mine. Let's make this happen. What if you did this? And then once they start with those types of things, then you know they're owning it.
0: So speaking of making change happen, there's been a big change in the Army that the Army now has an official role of data science, which is so exciting. Um, So tell me a little bit how this came to be and like, what does this mean for the industry as a whole, like even just data science in general, that now we're even seeing official roles within the military um, for this position.
1: Well, I will have to tell you that it's super exciting to me, right? And I, and I'm going to give kudos to our talent management team at the top level of the Army. Um, the federal <clears throat> excuse me, the federal government and the DoD have said data are important, and the services have have jumped on board. So when you when you make data a strategic asset then the average person maybe doesn't have those skill sets right so how do you how do you do that how do you make something a strategic asset if nobody understands it or nobody truly grasps it right so our talent management folks at the very highest said well we have a gap and how do we resolve that so we already have some mathematicians in the army um, and and they do very in-depth analysis and algorithms and they do mathematical analysis of data and there's that set and there's a need for that. But not everything is at that level. So I think by by creating this position, this series within the government, what it does is it allows us to grow a skill set, a targeted skill set uh, for those more in-depth projects, the more um, complex analysis, the more the predictive, the descriptive, the different types of analytics—it truly allows some in-depth focus and allows us to put dedicated resources to it. But also helps the army, the regular folks that aren't a data scientist series, have someone to fall back with and interact with. So that as a, a citizen uh, data scientist, right, just the average person who uses data every day, it gives you that connection. Maybe that that. Um, that liaison, if you will, between I can do some basic analysis in Excel or SQL and then someone who can do the more in-depth, but where you can talk and explain the processes across. So I think we're going to continue to grow in that area. We're going to have some lessons learned. I mean, you know, maybe our first go around, we didn't get the right people, but we're growing. And I think by, by acknowledging that, one, it lends credence to the fact that we are serious about doing right by our data and the answers that it can give us so that we can truly make risk informed decisions, right? Knowing what the true risk is based on the data. And we are in the business of mitigating risk. Um, So I think that as we continue to grow and we continue to see across the board, our talent management team is is not only looking at the new series, but how do we train everybody else? What are those basic skills uh, that people need to know to be able to truly embrace and use data in the most effective way?
0: So someone's looking to become a data scientist in the Army. What type of problems can they expect to work on? And what's that journey look like to become a data scientist in the Army?
1: Wow, that's interesting because I'm not 100% certain I know the answer to that, right? Um, it's, a, it's a brand new series. And so they're really there's going to have a strong mathematical background, obviously. Uh, but for me, just to be completely transparent, I I have not a mathematical background other than my structural engineering, which was <clears throat> a long time ago. Um, but I do understand the business processes, and I understand how the data is integrated and joined, and how what are the questions that I want to answer from it from a business perspective, right? Where to become that data scientist to truly bring that value, I think, is a combination of the both, right? Do I have a grasp of the Army processes and those top-level questions, right? We as an Army have a mission, and that mission requires us to have the people and the equipment ready to respond to worldwide events whenever we need to. So that involves how do we get all of the right parts to the right place at the right time? How do we make sure all of the equipment is ready, um, that means If you turn it on, it's going to work and do what it's supposed to. Does it fire? Do we have the right ammunition? All of that supply chain. And how do we do that scenario driven? We have to deploy 7,000 soldiers with this equipment in 24 hours to this location, right? Those scenarios, understanding how all of those subordinate pieces tie together, but able to do the actual data and math that it goes together. So I think you don't have to start off as a mathematician, right? You can start off in the army at some level, uh, not necessarily as a soldier, you can be a civilian supporting it, but understanding the processes behind it, understanding the mission and how it all ties together helps bring you to a point where should you choose to get some of those more in-depth skills, the analytics and, and, uh, mathematics skills, the critical thinking skills, uh, when you bring those together with the understanding of the processes, it will just greatly enhance the ability to, to be a data scientist. Now, I'm not the person who created the position description or what the background is. And the Army may have a completely different perspective. Um, and there's, there's not a lot of them out there. I mean, seriously, like within the last couple of months, it's that new. Uh, but I think you can come in without all of that having that's good, you can start as a mathematician and maybe learn some of the skills along the way. But I think ultimately, the combination of the two will make the most um, successful in that position.
0: Yes, yeah, so I feel like the mathematical skills and critical thinking and analytics is pretty straightforward in terms of, you know, classes you should take, right? It's in a bachelor's degree, a master's degree. There's tons of MOOCs and boot camps out there that teach that. Yeah. But as you mentioned, really knowing the business processes and the mission and the values that you're trying to drive forward is essential to being able to achieve great results in this role. Whether it's at the army or you're at a different company, how That's do people cool. get to know the business, right? We talk about that all the time, right? You got to know your business, know your business, like, You've been able to do that and create a fantastic career from that. So what tips do you have for us to get to be skilled in understanding the business?
1: So I think that's really an interesting question, right? Because most of us go to our job, we go to our desk or at home, we go to the office with our desk now uh, and we do our thing, our little box. This is what we do. And we maybe don't know what's happening left or right or up or down, right? Right. So I would, I would really encourage that, that we as an organization, regardless of the organization, one, truly go out and when our organization creates a website, there's an enormous amount of information that we're sending out to the public about what we do, what our business is, uh, what we share with our stake, our profit, you know, our shareholders, those types of things are out there for the public to see. But much of the time, people have never taken the time to actually, unless they're interviewing for a job, they never look at what the business does. And they only get the highlights so that they, if they get asked, they can talk about it in an interview. Take the time to go out and look at what your company has chosen to use in their, in their public releases. What are the fact sheets that they've put out there? What does that org chart look like? And who are your peers? And meet with those peers. Pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, you know what? I'm working over here. Um, what is it that you do? How, do? how does what you do tie together with what I do? How can I help you? How, how are we related? Is there a gap? Is there a hole that we can plug? It, it helps encourage innovation, but it also helps build those relationships. It goes back again to the people. When I first started in this position, um, and it was a unique concept I actually had like 82 one-on-one sessions with most of the leaders in my individual organization to say, I'm new to this job. You guys know me from a previous job, but this is what we're going to be doing. This is where we see our path going. This is where we see you fitting into it. How do you see us helping you? And I got to learn all these different things that they do. And, And I tend to do that in every job. This one is so much more powerful because it, It helps me connect the dots uh, literally and figuratively uh, as far as data goes. But I I would recommend that talking to the people, reading the website, looking, going on, for example, LinkedIn or or other um, official places to see about those organizations and what they do. There's so much material out there that that to not take that time and invest in learning your business or at least the people in your business that know this stuff so that you may not know it all, but you know, who does. And therefore you have that connection to be able to ask.
0: Amazing. I cannot believe you had 82 one-on-ones, you know, we all talk about like, Hey, you need to get out there and network and talk to other people. And I love to have what I call curiosity meetings with people, but I like that you have a number to it. You really are a data person. (laughs) because it shows just like how much and how many conversations you need to have to be able to really get to know the business and I mean obviously it's probably going to depend a little bit on what level of the organization you are but I think that number is really helpful because sometimes I see people going having one or two conversations and that's a great start but like If you really wanna become a chief data and analytics officer, 82 is your mark. So get out there and have some more conversation. You've set the bar really high for us, Joyce. I love it. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I have so many tidbits of insights from you in terms of leadership and your story is so inspiring in terms of what you've been able to do and continue to do and those you inspire around us. So I just wanna say a big thank you Um, for coming on the show today
1: thank you so much it's been a lot of fun and I really appreciate it
0: and what's the best way for people to stay connected with you I know you're part of the women in data community so they can find your profile in there if they're a part of women in data Um, if they're not a part of women in data what's the best way to connect with you
1: Um, I'm on Instagram Joyce Myers six I believe but I'll share that with you and I'm also on LinkedIn
0: we'll be sure to add those handles to the show notes and make sure people get connected.
1: All right. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. I hope you stay curious and keep learning. And I will talk to you next time. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.